Matthew chapter 28. Quite a familiar passage of Scripture. We are in the throes of a series here on discipleship, the importance of discipleship, how critical it is in our lives that we be followers of Jesus first and foremost. Come be my disciple is what Jesus calls us to. Here's the thing. Real discipleship is not perfect. Real, true, biblical discipleship, doggone it, it's messy. It's messy, it's imperfect, it's honest, it's challenging. It's not for the faint of heart. And that is why Jesus has given us His Holy Spirit. Because without His Holy Spirit, discipleship doesn't work. Without Jesus, discipleship doesn't work. It's this process of transformation that is completely dependent upon grace. And it's completely dependent upon the giver of grace. And that is our Lord, the giver of grace Himself. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, let's look at this. Then the eleven disciples, verse 16. We usually always start in 18. You know, we go right for the all authority, but... Let's back up just a little bit. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told His disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father wasn't enough. You had to have Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given to you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. So who is this message directed to? Who? Believers? Believers? Okay, disciples. Specifically in this context, he's speaking to disciples. However legit or non-legit, okay, he's speaking to human disciples. These guys are not angels. There's no you know special factor about them. But this is where discipleship gets messy. Because he's pouring into these imperfect vessels. Any time that humans are involved in discipleship, things get a little messed up. They do. They do. It's kind of like any time you have parents with kids, things get messed up, right? Anybody? Okay. It just happens. It just comes with the territory. There's no perfect among us. But in in spite of our human failures, there is an answer. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the gospel is the answer for both saving disciples and maturing disciples. Mm-hmm. 
You see, the gospel is for both sinners. We, I, I think that sometimes in our mindset, we think, and, I, and I've thought this before, no, the gospel is for sinners when they first, they, they need to be, you know, they need to be hit with the gospel. They need to hear the gospel and then they'll come to Christ. And then we put that, you know, that weak stuff behind us. But the gospel is not only for sinners like us folk who we once were before Christ. It's not that we don't sin anymore, but it's not about what you do. It's about your position and your place before Christ. And he covers us with his blood and he calls us his people, his sons and daughters. The gospel is not merely important for my justification. It's also critical for my ongoing sanctification, which is our lifelong journey with Jesus as Holy Spirit brings us along. Now, verse 17, this messed me up when I backed up a little bit because we talked about we don't want to just read a verse or maybe even just a couple verses. We want to read it in context. And so I was hit with this, verse 17, and it says, And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some of them still doubted. And I thought, I'm in. I'm good. I'm qualified. Because I'm doubting all the time. That's perfect. No, no, no. I mean, think about this. This is the next to the last thing. Aside from Act, the first part of Acts in Acts 1, this is, these are the last words that Jesus speaks to His boys. His fellows who are going to take this thing all the way to the finish line. Who are going to be responsible to pass on the family genes to the rest of the world. It's going to start with them. And some of them are like, we worship you, Jesus. And others are like, how in the world is this going to happen? I, I, you know, and these are the same guys who had just watched him be crucified dead, buried, and then rose again. And these guys are worshiping, and yet some still doubted. And he's rolling all his marbles into these dudes. <laughs> okay. Whatever. <laughs> Doubting is not a disqualification. For being a disciple. What does it make you? It makes you a candidate for grace. I love that. I'm either laughing or crying right now. Because that is so beautiful. Seriously, I got chills. Just That makes me a candidate for grace. That doesn't disqualify me. And he knew they were doubting. Check this out. These guys weren't even saved. What we talk about in terms of being born again, they had not, they did not have regenerated spirits. And he's rolling the marbles right into these fellows. Doubting is not a disqualification. Praise God. Mm. I don't know about you, that messes with my theology just a little bit. But Jesus did it. See, the Gospels for pre-Christians. There's so many people out there looking to follow someone or something. Our failures and our shortcomings as disciples are actually 
what qualifies us, in a sense, for grace. The ongoing free life and power to live this life by the strength of Jesus. This is the normal life of a disciple. In this is a fight for disciples to believe the truth of God's continual forgiveness, His mercy, His cleansing. See, Holy Spirit would do the work that He did in the first disciples. And He worked into them the faith of Christ. That's what He's doing with us. Remember what we said at the beginning of this thing? The end goal is Christ-likeness. That we could become like Christ. That's what Father's heart is, is that we'd look just like Jesus, talk just like Jesus, be a representation to the rest of the world. His lost sons and daughters that are still distant from Him. Verse 18. Here we get into some more good stuff. All authority. All authority. I've been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. This is the power to do anything. This is the denial of all hindrances. Everything, all the walls come down. This is the authority also that Jesus has to grant power, which He does in just a moment. Now, why does he have to make this statement? And why does he need all the power and authority? I have been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth. Now listen to this next part. So go therefore. See, the therefore is for us to ask what it's there for. What, supposed to, we're supposed to ask that question, what's it there for? So what's all that power and what's all that authority there for? Well, it's to send us. That we would go. It's for verse 19. Go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go therefore. We have authority to go and do all that He has commanded. If He says we can do it, remember Peter? Jesus got out of the boat. And so Jesus says we can get out of the boat and we can walk on water as well. Peter saw him. He believed him. What's the water that he's calling you to get out on? Come on. If it doesn't mess with you, then it's not probably what Jesus is calling you to do. He's calling us into impossibility. And I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily. Well, I'll let you fill in the blank. Holy Spirit, I'm just asking that you would help us believe so much bigger than what we can do in our natural ability, but that you would take us to that supernatural realm of seriously, truly believing you for where you want us to go. That you would say a word and we would respond to you and we'd say, done. That scares the you know what out of me, but I'm going, I'm going to do it anyway. Going is missional. Jesus reached the unreached. He touched the untouched. And He loved the unloved. Just like me. You're looking at Him. You're looking at the guy that He reached for. You're looking at the guy that He touched. You're looking at the guy that He loved. And He didn't have to. 
And I'm looking at the people that he reached for. You were the unreached. I'm looking at the people that he touched. You were the untouched, the yet to be touched. And I'm looking at the yet to be loved, who became love, became loved, became embraced. I want you to take a look at this picture. See that guy? What's he look like to you? It's like a homeless guy, doesn't he? Pastor Jeremiah Stepik transformed himself into a homeless person and went to the 10,000 member church that he was to be introduced as the head pastor at that morning. He walked around his soon-to-be church for 30 minutes while it was filling with people for service. Only three people out of the seven to 10,000 people said hello to him. He asked people for money to buy food. No one in the church gave him anything. He went into the sanctuary to sit down in the front of the church and was asked by the ushers if he would please sit in the back. He greeted people to be greeted back with stares and dirty looks, with people looking down on him and judging him. As he sat in the back of the church, he listened to the church announcements and such. When all that was done, the elders went up and were excited to introduce the new pastor of the church to the congregation. We would like to introduce to you Pastor Jeremiah Stepik. Congregation shouted and cheered, clapping with joy and anticipation. A homeless man sitting in the back stood up and started walking down the aisle. The clapping stopped, all eyes on him. He walked up to the altar, took the microphone from the elders who were in on this, and paused for a moment, and then he recited. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes. And you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. After he recited this, he looked towards the congregation. He told them all what he had experienced that morning. Many began to cry. Many heads were bowed in shame. 
he then said, today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus Christ. The world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will we decide to become disciples? And then he dismissed the service. If you see someone walking around next week that you don't recognize, be kind to them. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, no. I really thought about doing that. I knew I could never get away with it. They're like, that's trout. (laughs) Six foot eight homeless dude. Yeah, Jade said (laughs) Uh, each gospel except for the gospel of John and Matthew, Mark, and Luke when Jesus first encounters the guys that that Father would give to him that would be his disciples what's the first thing he says to them? come, follow me what, why? I'm going to make you I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. I'm going to teach you how to fish for humans. Teach you how to how to draw those that don't know me yet, that are estranged from me. I'm going to teach you how to reach them. I'm going to teach you how to touch them. I'm going to teach you how to love them. See, I get emotional reading that, and it's hard for me to get through that because that's me. And I'm not talking about the pastor. That's me in that congregation. Nice little church service. For them, a very big church service. Just come in, hang out for a while, some good tunes, maybe a nice pep talk, go home. I don't read that anywhere in the Bible. We we can't find that scenario anywhere in God's Word, in His heart, at any point in time. Come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Next part of verse 19. Make disciples. Make disciples. As disciplers, people who are discipling others, we're to lead people to a place of total attachment and dependency on Christ. This word... I'm going to butcher the Greek, methateo. It means to learn and become attached to the teacher who teaches and to become his follower in doctrine and conduct of life. See, the last thing I want as a discipler is for my disciple, for this, in in the human sense, this horizontal aspect of discipleship, the last thing I want is for them to become dependent upon me. 
What should I do now? What should I do here? My goal as a discipler is to teach them to be led by Holy Spirit because I want them to be authenticated as a genuine son and daughter as, as, according to Romans 8.14 which is the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit. Jesus wasn't after making more disciples. He was after making sons. And again, daughters as well. People that carry the heart of their father. It's like, I, Dad, I, I, know what, I know what my dad would want me to do. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're around him so much, you know so much that you don't necessarily, I mean, it's not that we don't go to one another for counsel and help and, dude, I just can't see the forest from the trees. Can you help me hear the Lord? No worries. But we're talking about an, uh, an inordinate dependency upon one another where I can't breathe unless you give me the, the green light. We're not at all talking about that. So Jesus is going after, hey, go and make disciples that are completely dependent upon me as their Lord and Savior, their King. We were never designed to merely gather as disciples. We're to be following Jesus in going. This is a mission of grace. A mission of grace to give others the life that we've been given. Are you being made into a disciple of Jesus? Are you being made into a disciple of Jesus? Are the ingredients of biblical discipleship operating in your life? Are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? Are you? <laughs> it's straight up. It's just, are we doing this? Are we taking the directions from our commander-in-chief and walking those things out? If we're not, how can we get in line with the call on our lives? We're called not only to mature disciples, but also to win disciples to Jesus with His Gospel. Baptizing. Baptizing has to do with an immersion or a submerging. Not into what, but into whom. Right? There's three, the trifactor, into the Father, the Son. That we would be completely submerged into their life so that their life is going to come out of us. We go down into the water, water baptism, and then we come up out of the water. We're identifying with Him. Water baptism was, uh, I mean, back in the day, now it's like hot tubs and, woo, we're going to have a baptism party, you know, and everybody gathers around and it's Cheetos and whatever. Back in the day when Jesus started, you know, John the Baptist started baptizing people. And then after, especially after Jesus was crucified, rose again, and He's like, I'm out of here. I'll see you guys when I see you. My Holy Spirit's coming. And then things started to heat up. So when you got water baptized, 
you know, again, they didn't have the hot tubs available at the time. And so this was a public declaration, a public identification with this king that was turning the world upside down. And so when you claimed allegiance to another king that was forbidden in that time, you were laying your life on the line. We, we, we baptized, uh, you know, at the end of June, we baptized Jeff Foster in Lake Washington. Nobody even give a, give a rip, you know? Nobody was calling the police on us or, or anything of the sort. But that's the way it was, and that is the way it is in many, many places around the world today. Because they know why you're being baptized. If somebody's dipping you in the water... Uh, it's because you're rolling with Jesus. And so they're going to take you out. I believe God wants to restore into, uh, to, with us, to us, the value and the, uh, almost the severity of what we're doing. That we don't take it lightly. That you know, as we're teaching our children about water baptism, we're bringing them up and preparing them, or we're talking to them about, no, 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 what you're saying is that you're preparing to give your life. Remember that song by Keith Green? I pledge my head to heaven for the gospel. He says, I pledge my wife to heaven for the gospel. I pledge my son to heaven. What was he saying? Literally, he's talking about their head being removed from their shoulders if need be. Whatever the cost, whatever the price tag is, he was, that song was used to send many into the mission field in foreign countries. I pledge my life to you. I pledge my head, everything that I'm about to you, and I'm holding nothing back. Teach them. Teach them. This means to influence the understanding of the person being taught. It's used absolutely in this context of Christ's teachings. Teach them all that I commanded you. What's the key? Obedience with a heart given. You know, if you're not there all the way in terms of your heart being able to be given, and this is not about feeling it, it's just about making a choice. I'm going to give my heart. I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Man, this is the tough part. When this kind of stuff comes through a human being, the rub factor hits. But again, this isn't about how did Jesus teach? We've talked about this. When they were struggling with unbelief, these disciples, what did Jesus do? He taught them more. He encouraged them more. He demonstrated for them more. He performed miracles for them. So the next time somebody that you're discipling is struggling, just perform a miracle right there. See this water? Check out this Merlot. Okay, it's very simple. Do like Jesus did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how did Jesus teach His guys? Well, we're to do it the same way. In the same posture. Remember last week, John 13? 
Oh my word. And Jesus, it says in John 13, and now Jesus would demonstrate the full extent of His love. What did He do? He got down on His hands and knees and He began to wash their feet for them. Now He says, now go and do this for others. Serve them. The posture of somebody who disciples is not a one who lords it over. It's one who serves who gives, lays down their life. The greatest, the greatest athletes, the greatest artists in the world, all have disciplers. Why? The world knows this, has this down in spades. Pay top dollar imagine how many people would be lined up for discipling other people if it was like cha-ching top dollar to get the best coaches possible greatest athletes in the world how did they get there they didn't get there on their own they got there because they were coached see why do we have the coaches because we can't reach our full potential or realize the likeness that we desire without them So I was asking you before, are you being made and are you making disciples? Do we have all the ingredients of discipleship? Well, yes, it's just me and Jesus. Sorry, that's not what Jesus says. Whenever you see disciples of Jesus in the Bible, they are always attached to other disciples in community. Always. Can't get away from it. But that's messy. Yes, He planned it that way. Because it's a journey of grace. It's a journey of grace one to another. I would go as far as to say, this is my personal opinion, but I would say that there are no truly healthy human beings or relationships that don't have some sort of discipleship, mentoring, or coaching, if however you want to say it. Without those things, those are the healthiest relationships possible. When you're attached to someone and you're you're going after those Christ-like things in that other person. The world is dying for discipleship. Isolation is killing people right now. Literally killing people. I wish I had time to go into it. All of what technology is doing to people right now. Tests that they're doing in different countries. South Korea. Places where they're, they're seeing literally people physio- physiologically are falling apart. And, and, and almost on the verge of death because of the, the, the technocentric world that we live in today. And the isolation from true relationship. Uh, we were watching, not necessarily promoting because there's some sketchy stuff, but we were watching The Voice. Anybody familiar with The Voice? Some of you are willing to admit it. You're like, mm, if I say yes, does that indict me or something? Now we're watching The Voice, and it, the thing that stuck out to me in the context of discipleship is the, the amazing, uh, I mean, here's... For those of you who aren't familiar with it, basically there's four coaches. These guys are, are famous, you know, platinum artists. 
and they're sitting in these chairs and you have these you know people just regular people coming up and they sing in front of them the backs the coaches are their backs are turned to the artist while they're singing and if they hear a voice that is so great that they you know really like the voice and they want to coach them they hit their button and they turn around and then they get a chance to the person gets to choose what coach they want to help them out to get to the big time so all these people are coming and saying i can't make it on my own i need a coach I'm willing to sacrifice. And these people are hardcore with them too. We're not talking about Jesus' discipleship. These guys are like, you will do this, you will do this. And they're just like, yes, I will do it. I will do it. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Why? Because they see a likeness that they desire. They don't even know these coaches. But these people are desperate. We have all these desperate people, and yet when it comes to, for instance, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, and the challenges that we all face in those areas to become the husbands that we need to become that look like Jesus to our wives, and yet we still go, you know what, I think I got this one. I think I'm going solo. I got this. And your family struggles and is floundering and going through the difficult things. Wives, same thing. Yeah, I think I got this. In our parenting, you know, rather than going, uh, help, I, so many times, Lisa and I, particularly in the first few years of marriage, you know, we're going, we're going uh, Dad and Mom, can we, um, can we come over? Could you come over then? Because we're stuck. Do you have a lifeline? Because that is at that point, we need somebody. We need Jesus in flesh and blood. The whole it's just me and Jesus kind of goes out the window at that point in time. And that's what he knew in advance. And that's why he's putting it together like this. Come on, Zarenko's in the house saying amen right up here. <laughs> You got to be in like the first two rows to be able to get the full, you know, spitting and saliva and all that stuff. Once you get the spit on you, it's like anointing oil. It just, yeah. I'll start, I'll move over in this section over here. Yeah. yeah. Oh. The mission of making disciples starts and finishes with Jesus. The mission of making disciples starts and finishes with Jesus. With you, Lord. For North Shore, discipleship is our way of life. Because it's the way of life for Jesus and His disciples. And that's us. And He's called us to come and follow Him. We can't do this alone. This is one of the most important wells we're going to drink from. For some, I know that 
your experience in discipleship has put in your mouth quite a bitter taste. And that's okay. Because Jesus is our restoration. And He's our resurrection. And just because we've experienced something that man messed up and didn't handle right, there's no plan B. So what He does is He comes and He restores and He heals and He allows us to become a greater candidate of grace. And that is beautiful. Discipleship is for every believer. Biblical discipleship and this is what my baby was telling me last week. She says, Eric, you got to share this. And so I was like, okay, put that down. Biblical discipleship reflects that God is a relational God. He isn't after a mere transfer of information. Just an exchange of information. He is a relational God and we are relational beings made in His image. It's impartation through meaningful relationships. And this is going to be our focus again in two weeks. Next week we have a guest speaker. I'll give you a hint. Somebody from KMI. The KMI conference is this next week. And so I grabbed a hold of somebody. And so you're, you're not going to want to you're not going to want to come late or anything like that because we're going to roll right from the beginning. We're going to do the old switcheroo again. So we're going to have them come and speak here uh, right at 9.30 and then send them out the door and then we'll worship together like we did uh, last time and uh, when we had Dennis Cole. So uh, anyway, exciting stuff. Please don't forget about the, the meeting uh, coming up here, our community night on the 30th of October. It's going to be grand. It's going to be great. Hey. Would, uh, would you please do something? I just want to throw a reminder your way. This whole thing of relationships and building with one another and the community of God, the life of God, you know, flowing and growing and uh, between us. When we, we were, on, were in discipleship right now, we were just talking about a little mini-series on relationships. And I threw an assignment your way. And, so, and it had to do with reaching out to others. That doesn't have to necessarily be people here in this congregation. Uh, it can be people in your neighborhood or whatever. But that you would be on a regular basis, your lifestyle would be one of reaching, of touching, of loving just like Jesus has done with us, but um, that you would reach out to others. And we, we asked everybody, he said, hey, would you please consider uh, inviting someone to your place at least once a month? You want to go, you know, three nights a week, that's your, that's your deal. But we're asking that everybody would do that at least once a month, that you plan it into your schedule. If you don't have time for that, we might want to talk about how packed tight your schedule might be and uh, might want to loosen it up just a little bit uh, but you will benefit immensely from having people into your home and just uh, loving on them and allowing them to love on you
Isn't that good? That is good. That is great stuff. Right there. Let's stand. We haven't done this in a while, and I love doing this. I grew up doing this, but can we just sing? I want to end with the doxology because we're cool like that, okay? (laughs) Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Mm.